Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining us at www.sonic-cinema.com. Uh, we're about to uh, switch over to the month of October and for me and many others then means a uh, plethora of horror movies throughout the month of October up until Halloween. And uh, this year is going to be no different for me. I'll talk about that later on in the uh, month. Um, to start, I wanted to uh, do an interview with a uh, fellow uh, online critic who I've gotten to know over the past couple of years. His website is uh, called Death Ensemble. It is It specializes in horror films and horror uh, discussions on uh, the horror genre and horror filmmakers. And uh, it's really exciting to have him on here. We're going to talk about his website. We're going to talk about uh, what led him to horror. And then we're just going to sort of talk about our own uh, experiences with uh, the horror genre and sort of where we got our starts. So uh, I I hope you enjoy this uh, interview with Phil uh, Faso. Uh, we're coming up on the uh, month of October, and October means horror movies for a lot of film fans. And uh, I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, talk to somebody who I've come to know online for the past couple of years. He's a uh, film critic, film writer, and uh, horror fan in general. And uh, his website is Death Ensemble. And uh, please welcome to the podcast, uh, Phil Faso. Phil, welcome. Thank you for having me, Brian. As I said to you when you first called me, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I when when I was thinking about podcasts to do for this time of month, it just for this time of uh, year, just it, it felt like this was this this would be a probably a pretty good uh, discussion to have since uh, you're pretty big into horror genre. And, I mean, your your website. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, specializes in uh, talking about horror filmmakers, horror films, and just everything associated with horror. So, I mean, this this felt like a really good fit. And plus, I mean, this is one of those cases where I get to talk to somebody in real life as opposed to just online. So, I mean, I, I was really uh, excited to be able to do this with you. Well, it's always nice to be able to make that connection with somebody. You know, I met you through Heather, who is a great friend of mine, and another person that I've actually never met in person. <laughs> that's that's the way the world's going today. But, you know, it's one of those things where the Internet really can be a positive and it's just not white noise. When I'm able to sit and talk to somebody like you, who's a horror fan, obviously, and you're very much into film and film critique. And, you know, I, I think that we're going to have a fun time here today. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, like I said before, your website is a death ensemble. And what what inspired you to want to write about film? What inspired you to centralize on uh, horror in particular? You know, there are some things in my life that are very close to me. And I've been writing since I was, you know, since my mom read me my first Curious George book when I was a kid. You know, I've always had a great imagination, um, and horror has always appealed to me. And as I got into, you know, other areas of writing, I mean, I've written all sorts of stuff over my life, poems, novels, short stories. And uh, about 10 years ago, I, I was going 
to a bunch of horror conventions at the time. And I happened to come across a guy who is now a great friend of mine, Mike Cucinata, and another guy, Rob Galuzzo, were running a site called Icons of Fright. Um, and oddly enough, you know, I'd seen pictures of them online. It just happened to be patrolling the internet and came across Icons. And then I was in the mall um, about 10 years ago looking to buy a Slayer t-shirt in Hot Topic. And lo and behold, there's Mike Cucinata behind the counter. <laughs> so... so um, I, I'm just like, Hey dude, I, I, you, I can't afford Don't you? He's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was talking to him and I happened to be going to a horror convention, I guess like a month or two later. And I just reached out I said, Mike, you know, I don't know if you have anybody going to this convention. Would you like me to cover it? You know, I'd, I'd wanted to get into blogging at that point and didn't really have the knowledge or the wherewithal or, you know, even the connections to really start right. So Mike said, no, we don't have anybody covering it. And then, you know, I took a bunch of pictures, wrote up a two-page write-up, and Mike loved my writing. He always has, and he's always been a huge supporter of mine with, with, you know, blogging. And he's just a generally great guy. So a couple weeks later, he sent me an email saying, hey, Phil, you know, our guy who was doing our DVD reviews just basically cut out on us for another site. Would you like to become our, our DVD review guy? I said, yeah, sure. You know, so, and, um, you know, again, it was like, okay, so what are the parameters here? And the parameters were, well, you know what, we like your writing, so write in any style you want and review any movies you want as long as they're horror. <laughs> so that pretty much left it wide open for me. And the nice thing about Icons was that Rob and Mike at the time let me pretty much have free reign. I could write whatever I want. You know, I chose my own topics. You know, I was always worried about that with some of the, which is one of the reasons I've never even tried to write for any of the quote unquote major sites. You know, it's just that they have mandates and this is what we want you to write and here's your word count and cover this and blah, blah, blah. With Mike and, and Rob, it was always, all right, well, we're, we're friends here. You know, you, you're a talented writer, Phil. We like what you're doing. You know, just take it any direction you want. So, through some machinations over the years, I was with Icons for, I guess, about four years. And then, you know, they'd gone through some changes, and I became their editor-in-chief for a while, and the site really wasn't what I was looking to make out of it. So I ended up parting ways with them, and I'm like, well, I have some options here. I can, you know, write for the big boys and, you know, have my writing just not be what I want it to be. I can, you know, I can... I have some smaller sites that I have connections on so I can contribute to those, you know, make friends and, you know, networking over the years by going to conventions and writing online. Uh, or I could start my own site. And the thing was, the only option that I wasn't even considering was, hey, you know what, I'm not going to write on the internet anymore. That's not even an option. So mm -hmm. Death Ensemble became my thing, you know, <laughs> and I came up with the tagline, your vital source for interesting perspectives on horror now. Again, I don't think my website is anywhere near vital to anybody's life, but, you know, I like that I give people an outside perspective. You know, I'm not a corporate, I'm not, you know, not giving you what everyone else is giving you. And I like to give my friends and, you know, people an opportunity to write and express their views on it. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, you've written for me, actually, so you you know exactly what I'm talking about here, you know. Basically, yeah. hey, listen, you know, I made some connections here. You have some good points of view. Feel free to put. I'm always willing to give people an opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, because I think it's it's great, you know. So that's how Death Ensemble came about. 
Yeah, and I mean, I and the thing is, it's like I when I came into when I started writing about film, it was I had already become really, really interested in film and really passionate about film, and then basically I started doing these like short reviews for the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution here for like the their you be the critic like you know just regular people were saying in reviews and stuff like that. That's how I started writing about sure. reviews and then writing reviews. And then basically I eventually gravitated towards longer form reviews. And then around 2000 or so it was while I was in college, I had the idea of doing a website and originally it was going to be focused more on my music, which was my main, main focus. But I mean, over the years, I mean, obviously the movie reviews have been a huge part of it. And uh, that's, and uh, then, you know, I've done different types of blogs. I've done different types of, uh, you know, end of year and all that stuff. I started doing a movie a week about eight, ten years ago, even though that's kind of hysterical with the idea that I could call the movie a week at this point. Uh, (laughs) There are sometimes where I go like weeks before even touching a movie in that list, but the but no, and the fact of the matter is, is it it just it it was something that it the more I got into it, I mean, I always really enjoyed it. I I, I enjoyed having that outlet of uh, just expressing myself about films. Um, I mean, like like you said, I I wrote a uh, remembrance for you of uh, Wes Craven a couple of years ago when he passed away uh, that you posted on Death Ensemble and we we met through Heather and she was the one who approached me about that and you know I was I was excited just to be able to write it and to have somebody else post it and it, it's like that that's one of those it's one of those things where it's like sometimes you know you just having connections like that happen through other people was just really, really great. And it's been able to, it's one of the things that's really helped expand, uh, my, my, uh, my ability to talk about films and talk about different types of films and talk to filmmakers and actors and all that stuff and being able to communicate with other critics and even <laughs> just commenting on Facebook says has always been a lot of fun as far as, uh, or when it comes to just you and I talking about uh, movies. Sure, and that's one of the things that, you know, if you look at the title of my website, Death Ensemble, I, I really just, you know, I do 98.7% of the writing for it, you know. Um, I don't have many outside people, but it's when people do want to write for me, I embrace that nature of, hey, here's a voice that's not Phil Faso's voice, you know? Mm-hmm. And I will happily post things that I don't, you know, like my friend Nicole has very different opinions on movies from mine. You know, so I, I wrote a review of Friday the 13th, which just excoriated it. And she's like, hey, Phil, that's my favorite Friday the 13th flick. <laughs> okay, write a review on it. I'll happily post it as a rebuttal. And we did, you know. Yeah. It's just a discourse, you know. Anytime, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time with language. I have two degrees in English. I love language. I love talking. I love communicating. I love listening to people, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just that there's that forum to do that when you have a website or a blog where you can say, hey, you know, here's, here's, here are voices. Let's put them out there. And you know what? I don't have a huge following. I know that. 
but that's okay because the people that do read me appreciate what they read, you know. Yeah. And if I can get your, if I can get your piece on Wes Craven out there, or Nicole's, you know, Nicole's piece on Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, then that's something that I've done and gets it out there. And you know, so if some people enjoy it, that's the end goal, right? Oh yeah. No, and yeah. I mean, being able to have all those, being able to have different viewpoints on uh, movies is always really fun. That's one of the things that. I've started to branch out with as far as uh, the podcast, as far as interviewing people. I had, you know, this one podcast earlier in the year where a filmmaker I've met uh, online over the years, I've reviewed a few of his films. We ended up talking about Scorsese for about an hour in his uh, Faith trilogy earlier this year. And it's like, that's the type of, and uh, some friends of mine and I want to talk about Star Wars. Some friends... Other friends of mine and I want to talk about horror films or David Lynch and just just being able to get those different voices that you wouldn't necessarily hear from otherwise. Yeah, that I completely understand the impulse. And it's like, I think that's one of the things that when I've had the chance to sit down and read uh, what you have on Death Ensemble, it's like that's one of the things I like is you've got different people projecting. I mean, obviously the central voice is yours, but you're also able to incorporate other people's opinions on, uh, on films and filmmakers as well. I mean, that's, that's one of the, that's ultimately that's, that's such a, I think that's such an important thing to going from just being a blog about, uh, movies or just a particular subject and and more like trying to build a l- larger community too. Sure, absolutely. You know, it's all about it's all about getting voices out there. That's what writing is about. That's what communication is about. You know, and I'm I'm very you know I again I don't have a huge following on Death Ensemble. I know that. You know, I mean, if you look at something like you know, I'm not going to use the real names, but if you look at something like you know, gory, disgusting, or you know, dread. You know, Deadhead Central. Those sites have 25 articles a day. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm like, I might not have that in a month. You know, <laughs> I'm a restaurant manager. I work a full time job. You know, I travel three hours a day. I've, you know, but if I can get quality pieces up there and I can get interesting perspectives out, that's what matters to me. Yeah. You know, and that's what makes and that's what makes it worth doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you said. I I know now because when I first started Death Ensemble back in 2011. It'd be like, okay, this is D. Wallace week, or you know, George George Romero film review week, and then you know, three weeks come by. It's like, okay, so maybe it was George Romero three weeks, you know, <laughs> because I know I haven't got what I got to do. So I learned not to put the word week on anything anymore after that. <laughs> but you know, if I can get my writing out there, and you know, I can I can do interviews. Cause that's my favorite part of running the blog. You know, I tell people that all the time. I interviewed Ken Sagos last week at a convention from the guy from Dream Warriors. You know, if I can, if I can talk to people and you know get movie reviews and put up opinions about things, you know, that's the kind of stuff I like, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of things, kind of things that my readership enjoys. So it's all good stuff. Yeah. Well, you touched on it earlier, and uh, as far as uh, sort of where horror became your, how horror sort of became your niche far as uh, death ensemble and your writing in general, uh, what is it, and I'm just just out of curiosity, what is it about uh, horror other 
than other genres that sort of uh, resonates with you uh, more than other genres do? Well, it's it's not any one thing. It's a combination of things. Um, I'll start with when I was a kid. Um, as many of us did in America, I had a dysfunctional family. You know, I grew in a ver- up in a very middle-class white neighborhood. I should have had the, the perfect life, you know, white picket fence and all that. Dad's making good salary, mom's home. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't that. You know, you open the doors to those houses and there's all kinds of horrors going on inside. So part of the thing with horror was, you know, it was an escape from the horror in my own life. You know? mm-hmm. So I could I could get away from that by turning on a movie or reading a Stephen King book or picking up a Robert McCammon short story collection. I could get away from that, the real horrors. And then, you know, I couldn't control that stuff in my real life when I'm sitting down and I'm reading and then eventually writing horror stories or writing reviews or whatever. Now I'm, I'm actually taking something that was uncontrollable and I'm controlling it. You know, mm-hmm. now now it's something where it's easy for me to say, OK, now I have ownership over it. So that's that's one thing, um, and I've always loved the fact that you know horror. You can do all sorts of things in horror that you can't in other genres. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 can you can have all kinds of stuff happen in a romantic comedy. You can't have somebody turn into a werewolf in a romantic comedy for the yeah. most part. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, so it stretches the imagination and does all sorts of things that you can't do in other genres. You know, and that's not saying that other genres are are you know particularly limited. You can do all sorts of things, but horror is somewhere you can take that imagination and this is why i've always loved supernatural stuff better than the slasher stuff because you know it's it's just something that it, i can get away from what i'm reading in the paper because if I, I can read about people getting killed in the paper or i can turn on the howling and watch somebody get killed by a werewolf which is fun you know <laughs> as opposed to oh my god what a depressing world we live in so that that's that's another part of it and you know I, I don't, I have to admit, I've seen so many horror movies and, you know, I've lived a lot of life at 45 now that it's just that things don't scare me anymore, but it, there's, a, there's a certain fun to getting spooked by things. There's a certain fun. That's why now when I watch horror movies, like I watched Autopsy of Jane Doe a few weeks ago for the first time, mm-hmm. and that movie legitimately at points had me, you know, and you know, had goosebumps on my arms, you know, and that's fun. I think that problem I've come across with horror lately is a lot of it is just dreary, depressing, tie somebody to a chair and kill somebody. And, and it took me a while to find some stuff that's come out recently that has that sense of, you know, the things that go bump in the night because it's mm. fun to be scared. It's not fun for me to watch a body get mutilated, but it's fun for me to watch, you know, like I said, a werewolf running around, you know, a guy transforming into a werewolf is, is you know, spectacular stuff, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a thrill ride, you know, it's fun. So how about you? How did you get into horror? Well, I mean, for me, like, it's kind of, it's kind of happened in waves. Like, when I was growing up, I actually somehow got my uh, parents or, you know, my I somehow got my parents to uh, let me watch, like, the Friday 13th movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, and stuff like that at, at rel- a younger age than I should have. I was like nine or ten or something like that. But sure. I mean, I and I like them, but it's like I didn't really, I didn't have that love for. I didn't really know what I loved about movies yet. I didn't really have that sort of analytical mind about horror, about movies yet. 
So, I mean, I enjoyed them, but I didn't necessarily, that didn't necessarily stick for a while. When I got more into movies as I grew older, I would start to watch more movies that include horror. Admittedly, horror is something that I've sort of slid into without just necessarily going full bore into it. Although, when I started uh, in, I think it was 2003 was the first year I did this. Uh, Starting in 2003, I was you know, writing on a regular basis about horror movies and one of the things I wanted to do, What and I had Netflix, and so basically, like, all of the horror, in October, all of the horror movies that I had my Netflix queue would get pushed up to the front. And it's like, yeah. I sort of used that as an excuse to try to get my queue down considerably, now, and also to watch some of these movies for the first time. I mean, I would incorporate other movies I'd seen over the years, but ultimately it's like I use it as a vehicle to sort of introduce myself to new horror movies. And when I started doing that, that's when my appreciation for the art of horror filmmaking beyond just like generic slasher movies and uh, all the cliches that go with like endless sequels and stuff like that, sort of came into view. I mean, I'm sort of like you. I'm I'm much more interested in supernatural as opposed to slasher, although, I mean, I do enjoy a good slasher movie. I still enjoy the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I enjoy Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Like a few of the Friday 13th movies, the original Halloween, all of that stuff. But mostly I like... I over the years I I'm especially a fan of the slow burn horror movie, basically stuff like The Shining, stuff like Nosferatu, stuff like uh, Bride Frankenstein, just that and The Conjuring, just stuff that doesn't really that will take its time, that'll be patient and earn to a certain extent earns the earns the whatever scares and suspense I feel like the movie can contribute. And because it's all about the payoff at that point, Yeah, you know, you're building to the payoff. I think that's a problem with a lot of filmmakers nowadays. I don't think that enough filmmakers watch films. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think that part of the problem is that they don't, especially in the horror genre where you can have an iPhone and a couple hundred bucks and put out your own horror movie, you know? <laughs> but part of the part of the problem with that is that you have no training, you have no technique, and I don't think that, you know, those people have, a lot of them don't anyway, mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have an appreciation for how to build scares. Yeah. What, how do you build it and, and what's the payoff? And you got to make the payoff worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, some of some of it's just, hey, you know what, it's, you know, slaughter and this and that. But if you're not building characters and you're not building, you know, I think one of the problems that I had with much of the movies in the 80s, once I got a little older, was like, oh, my God, these, if you turn these characters sideways, you wouldn't <laughs> see them. They're so thin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's but that's why something like that's I'm sorry, I cut you off. But no. that's why something like that's why something like Wes Craven, if you want to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, you have Heather Langenhan playing Nancy. That's an incredible character, you know? Mm-hmm. And Craven does that. He builds the scares and he builds the stuff. And it's not, hey, you know what? Jump, you know, it's not just throwing a cat out of a closet. Yeah. <laughs> the old cat jump scare, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, the I think the especially when you're talking if you're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, important part that distinguishes that from Halloween and the endless sequels, Friday Thirteenth and the endless sequels is that that was an original idea, and just yes. the the hook of that movie, like somebody who will kill you when you're in your when you're sleeping, and how do you do that? How do you stay awake? And all the way he set up that universe and I haven't seen all of the sequels, but I mean, I've seen dream warriors. That's really good. New nightmares. One of my favorites uh, of Wes's. And the fact of the matter is, it's like the fact that he set up that universe so well and that premise so well. And like you said, the characters, Heather Ling, Cam is Nancy. I mean, even Johnny Depp is her boyfriend. And, all of, all of the characters that are just really there's not a wasted there's not necessarily a wasted character in that movie every mo- character is kind of important to that story in one way or another sure and Wes Craven is one of those guys that you know I find him very up and down but when he's on he's on and his stuff is just like Nightmare on Elm Street or the new Nightmare that stuff is next level yeah. You know, it's next level writing, it's next level directing. And there's a guy who just knew how to capture it and how to put it on film, you know. And unfortunately, like I said, you know, throughout the course of horror filmmaking, especially since the eighties, there's not enough of that. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a shame. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, like Wes Craven's completely up and down. It's like one year he did Vampire in Brooklyn, which I couldn't stand. I I <laughs> that movie is awful. <laughs> but the next year he did Scream. Yes, and exactly. Like he within the same year in 2005, like he had Cursed, which was like basically Scream with werewolves, but was awful. Had gone through recuts and rewrites and all of that stuff and refilm shooting and all of that. But then later that year, you saw Red Eye, and it's like, wow, he still has it. And yeah, I mean, just that, and yeah, he's, I mean, and a lot of the, a lot of the really good consistent horror filmmakers are kind of like that. It's like, it just depends on the story. I mean, some are better, some are more consistent than others, but the fact of the matter is, it's like, yeah, it all depends on story. It depends on what your premise is and, and, you know, you were talking about like people who don't even really watch movies or don't even really watch horror. It's like the the first thing that came to mind was that god awful uh, Michael Bay produced Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Oh god! Which is like I was bored senseless watching this. I shouldn't be bored senseless watching this. I can watch the original and just be scared out of my wits. <laughs> I remember watching the prom night. Prom Night, the original Prom Night, is no great movie. Trust me on that. Yeah. But I remember watching the the remake back in 2008, and I legit, I was legitimately pissed off. I was <laughs> steaming while I was watching this thing because I'm like, okay, so who is this movie for? First off, you're taking a movie, and the whole remake thing was kind of funny because you're taking movies that so so you're taking titles of movies that people love, and you're trying to get that crowd in the older crowd. Yeah. But you're making movies that that crowd's not going to like for younger audiences, and a lot of them are PG-13, just trash. Yeah. So, 
but but those people are not going to care that this is some title from 30 years ago. It's a remix. So who are you trying to please here, you know? Yeah. And those Michael those Michael Bay movies, the, the problem was that it was all about veneer and it's all about the look and it's glossy and it's this and that. And there's absolutely no substance to any of that stuff. I you know, Marcus Nispel, Marcus Nispel, the guy who directed the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, he did the Friday the 13th remake and he did yeah. the Conan remake. And I'm like, does this guy have a single idea in his head of his own? Because it just seems like he's going to remake everything ever made yeah. and never make anything that's original, you know? And that's kind of sad because Romero and Carpenter and Cronenberg and Hooper and, and Wes Craven, I can watch a, I can watch a Cronenberg movie that I've never seen before and not even knowing, not seeing his name on it. I can miss the opening credits and know it's Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. I defy myself to try to find that in any of these guys, you know? And that's kind of sad because, you know, the thing about about film that makes it unique is you have this great you have these great visual aspects. It's it's storytelling stuff. And it's not supposed to be just about, okay, put the camera here, point A, put the camera there, point B, and then cut it together. Now and and, you know, the art of editing and the art of filmmaking, I mean a bunch of it is just not where it should be right now for the most part. And that's that's sad, you know. Mm Well, and yeah, you and you mentioned the uh, Friday Thirteenth remake, which I mean, for the record, I actually, I actually liked that one, but mainly because of the fact that I felt like it, it combined the elements from both the first and second Friday Thirteenth, yeah. which are the two best Friday Thirteenth movies. Um, and I think I think part of the reason why I didn't mind that one as much is because of the fact that it's like. A is such a simple premise, and B, like there are only three or four of the Friday Thirteenth movies that are even any good at all, and yeah. it's like it's hard to you, you don't have to do much to really improve upon any a lot of those films, and uh, but yeah, I mean, and even you brought up Romero, and the fact of the matter is, even if you're watching his new you know, zombie movies, even if you're watching like a newer zombie movie and it's not as good as like Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead, it's like it still has something interesting to say. That was the thing that has always fascinated me and why Romero is by far my favorite horror director. That his, and again, his, it's, it's by no means deep stuff. It's not profound, most of it, but he was somebody who had commentary to make on what was going on in society mm-hmm. and and put that on film. You know? A lot of it's transparent stuff. I mean, the thing about consumerism in the mall and Dawn of the Dead, you don't need to look very deeply, but it's a point of view. It's, yeah. it's hey, you know, here's Romero's point of view on what's going on. You know, Romero was a progressive guy and he had all kinds of thoughts and stuff. And, you know, it's great that he was able to put that stuff on film because too many films don't, you know, and again, it's part of the, what I was saying about the art of movie making being a, a big part of being lost is that, you know, a lot of the stuff that comes out today doesn't have a voice. It's just, you know, yeah. it's just indistinct. Whereas Romero, you know, if you look at his stuff, you know, it's, it's always about the family's falling apart, society's falling apart, <laughs> everything's falling apart, yeah. the social structure's falling apart, and how are we going to make our way through that? Mm-hmm. 
And that stuff will always be relevant, you know, whether it's 1968 with Vietnam and, and Night of the Living Dead. 1985 with Reagan and the militarism and today with what's going on in politics now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, and, uh, what was the, what was the found footage dead movie he did? It was after Diary, of the, dead. Diary of the Dead. And it's like, yeah. I like, I saw him like, that's actually, I mean, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, you know, of course they hadn't, you know, we it just come it come out shortly after like Cloverfield, and so the the newer found footage idea was still becoming was still something of a novelty. Like Paranormal Activity hadn't come out and just completely like ruined that idea for everything. But uh, yeah, and it's like wow, you've got this. It's it's a first person ground level, uh, you know zombie movie and it's like i mean obviously it's like you've got protagonists and uh you know good guys and bad guys and you know protagonists in every movie but it's like that the idea of having the movie be that being telling a zombie movie in that way it's was such a novelty and it's such a it 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 makes sense that that's what he where he took it and uh yeah, like you said, I mean, he all of those movies are social commentary for the time that they were made. And that's one of the things that that franchise, you know, as up and down as it can be, I mean, as up and down as any franchise can be, it holds up because of the fact that Romero has something very distinct to say about it. Well, that was one of the things that I always loved about the Romero's Dead movies, too, because... You want to talk about franchises, either Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's very rare that you have a follow through with one person directing and writing them. Yeah. You know, so you have like if you look at Friday and again, the Friday the 13th movies are pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. But if you look at each one, it's like, okay, well, this guy is taking it this way and this guy after him is taking it this way. And I didn't see it going that way because this is now nothing like the original, but even though it's got the same exact idea, you know? Yeah. Whereas with Romero or, you know, and I'm not a big fan of Child's Play, but, you know, that guy, uh, I forget his name, Dominic something or other, has written all of them, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so there's a through line. Instead of just, okay, well, here's the next random slasher because it's 365 days later and we got to put something out by the 13th of this yeah. month. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. One podcast, one film podcast I'm actually listening to is uh, 80s All Over, and it's going through the 80s one month at a time. It's fascinating when they get into the horror films that are coming out, like each month yeah. of those years. It's just, it's it's fascinating to see just sort of the trends that hit upon. And then once Friday 13th is like, you get all of these different slasher movies and it's like, yeah, I, I could probably skip a few of these. Well, that's, uh, that's part of the problem though, with, with filmmaking. That's as far as the industry goes, that things are very trendy. Yeah. You know? So Friday the 13th breaks huge. It's this little film that Sean Cunningham makes out in the middle of nowhere. You know, he's got to get invested in stuff. You know, it's not like some big tentpole film that Paramount said, okay, we're going to throw a million dollars or 10 million or whatever it was back at the time. You know, and that comes out and all of a sudden that makes a gazillion dollars that summer. And all of a sudden now you have a million copycats. Yeah. 
you know, you, you talked about Scream. Scream is a great film. Kevin Williamson does some next level writing on that stuff. And it's amazing that what, what he and Wes Craven were able to do with that, because that is really a thinking man's horror film. And it's really impressively oh, yeah. done. And then you get the stuff that follows, like, um, I know what you did last summer, which was written by Williamson. And I still can't believe that because, yeah. you know, here's Scream, which is all about, okay, we're going to make fun of these conventions. And then you get to, I know what you did last summer. And it's every convention that he was making fun of a year ago on Scream. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, then you have stuff like Valentine and all that. You have a bunch of stuff that's meta. All of a sudden, meta horror is the thing. Mm-hmm. And that's big for a while. You know, 28 days later comes out and in 2004 and, um, the first Resident Evil film come out and all of a sudden now zombies are popular. So it's the trend, you know, back in the uh, mid two thousands to late two thousands, you know, you have the whole, the whole remake thing, which is fine. You know, I understand that, that you got to hop on where the dollar's going, but I kind of like the fact that just like I was telling you about my website, I want to hear other voices that are outside that, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I'm really Really fortunate that I've made some really nice connections with some horror makers on the indie level in, in the New York area. I'm, mm-hmm. I live in I live in Flushing Queens, you know. So I've made some some connections with indie filmmakers, and I'm realizing that there's all sorts of great stuff going on on the underground right now, where it's stuff that's it's counter to the glossy ten million dollar, fifty million dollar, however many millions you want to put. I mean, we're not even talking close to a million dollars with the films I'm talking about. So you, you, I'm looking at people that are able to put those distinct voices of theirs in and make it something that is theirs and it's unique. And it's a nice antidote to whatever is at the box office, Annabelle creation or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I've... That's one of the things I've liked as far as uh, when, when I started to get uh, screeners and requests for reviews from independent filmmakers. And it's like... These are filmmakers. It's like I don't go to film festivals. I don't really have access to film festivals, so I'm probably not going to see these movies outside of this. And it just completely expanded my horizons as far as what's going on in films, and it's more exciting than what's going on in, you know, mainstream films, a lot of times. And yeah, just certainly. being able to get to know these people and see how how their voices expand over the years and how seeing how, you know, one filmmaker will do a drama one year and the next year he's doing a horror movie. And it's like, it just, it's, it's so, it's been so invigorating for me as a film fan to be able to get in touch with those people and to really understand that it's like, there's a lot more going on than I realize. And it's like, I need this. I need these filmmakers in my life to to sort of keep my enthusiasm. I mean, not just to keep my enthusiasm up, but to keep up with you know. I don't mind if I miss certain films in theaters because it's like, eh, I'm kind of interested, but not really. Sure. But it's like that just. You know, chances are there's. A, I'm glad because of the fact that then there's another film from another filmmaker who I'd never heard of before, who you know probably isn't gonna get, th- who shamefully will probably not get like a two thousand three thousand screen release 
in their career, which is a damn shame. But their movie is so much better than what I'm missing at the theater. And it's like because and sort of like you, I've got a full time job. I've got all sorts of things going on to where it's like I don't have time to get to movies and theaters as much as I used to. And on the one hand, I'm disappointed in that because I do miss movies that I do want to see. But at the same time, it's like I've got this other outlet. I've got these other films I'm getting a hold of that are augmenting my movie going and also invigorating, you know, the my years beyond just seeing what's out in the movies. And yeah, that's been one of the more exciting things for me, certainly. And now you work for a theater company, right? I do. I do. I uh I'm an assistant manager at a uh at a uh, Regal down here. So how do you think that adds to your experience? As a, I mean, obviously your entire lifestyle is is built around film. So how how do you think that adds to it? Your your job, if it does at all. Um, unfortunately, well, I mean, I my and my wife and I actually both work at movie theaters. So basically, I unless it's a, a theater that like neither of us that's not at either one of our companies, it's like I'm getting into a movie for free. So, I mean, that yeah. helps, but the fact of the matter is, it's like, unfortunately, it's, I, yes, I would love to, like, utilize going to see free movies, like, every weekend, stuff like that, and going to see movies that I want to see that we get that's coming out, but, uh, I mean, it, I think part of the reason why it's been nice for me to get a whole because of the fact that sometimes my my work schedule is so erratic, whether I'm working during the day or working in the evening, it's like that will depend on, that will determine sort of when I get a chance to watch these movies that filmmakers are sending me, you know, for review. And it's like, sure. I think that's part of why I've, a lot of shorts have shown up on on Sonic Sim over the years, and it's like yeah. because of the fact that it's like they're easy to watch. It's they're easy to watch before work, and you know I can either I'll have the review done before I leave for work, or I can think about it and you know I can finish it easily after work. And I mean it doesn't really it it help working at a theater helps because of the fact that I get free movies. Sure and. Unfortunately, I, you know, and I don't have access to screener critic screens or anything like that. So that's how I have to see movies. And so it's like, that's, so I, I feel privileged to be able to, I, I feel kind of privileged and kind of honored to have these filmmakers send me their films. And it's like, I'd like your feedback on it. And the thing is, it's like, they, you know, in in most more cases than not, they appreciate my feedback, regardless of whether it's positive or negative. I'll tell you what, to be honest, there's nothing more flattering than somebody hit me on Facebook or hit me in my email and saying, Hey Phil, you know, I like your stuff, I like your site. Can you do me a favor and check this out for me and review it for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, it's a horror film, you know, maybe it'll be great. And again, same thing that you said that 
I've given negative criticism to stuff that people sent me. I've given negative criticism to people that I consider friends now, you know? Yeah. But I've never had the, holy shit, how did you say it? How could you say that about my phone? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, it, it, fortunately it, I've, you know, I've been able to get with some really good people who are looking for legitimate feedback, you know? Mm -hmm. They want, and they want to get it out there. And, you know, my website, you know, I got, again, the, the, the mega conglomerate, Sites, they're never going to cover those type of films, and it's nice to be able to review that stuff and help some people out. You know, promote, promote, and support stuff I really believe in. Oh and, yeah, you know, I mean that, that's, that's great. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I've found over the past couple of years, especially and especially starting to uh, talk to these filmmakers for the podcast. It's like I I feel like if I can bring if I can bring these people's art. And these people's voices to somebody who will have never heard of them otherwise because they're not in 3,000 theaters on an opening weekend. That makes it worthwhile because it's like I'm I feel like I'm helping these people. They're helping me in, you know, promoting my reviews, saying, hey, this is a review that I got for my movie. Thank you very much. And it's like I'm helping them because of the fact that it's like I'm giving them genuine feedback that they're going to take to heart and they're going to appreciate. And it's like that's that that's been really rewarding because the fact of the matter is it's like the next you know the next Thor movie is going to sink or swim with or without my review. But yeah. I mean I've had I've had filmmakers who've said your review is one of the first ones that came out and it's like it really helps get some momentum going on my film and getting into festivals and stuff like that and being able to quote that as hey this is what some people are saying about my movie and it's like and that and that goes right back around to what i was saying when we first started this conversation you and i that that sense of community you know it's horror horror specifically for me but even just the film community in general, you know, when you make those kind of connections and you meet people and you, you review their stuff and they, they use your reviews in, in, you know, on DVD covers or whatever and your voice gets out there and their voices get out there. And it, it's forming a community. It's taking something that, you know, the whole thing about quote-unquote social media is that it's supposed to be social. Yeah. You know, where a lot of it to me is, hey, this is people hiding behind the screen instead of going out and doing what they, sh what, what, you know, whatever they would do in their normal lives, you know? Mm -hmm. But the thing is that when you form that sense of community, whether it's Death Ensemble or Sonic Cinema, and you build that kind of community within, and you meet people and you network, you know, that's great. That's using social media and the internet to do something positive. Mm -hmm. I think that, that, I think that that's awesome that, you know, guys like you and me, look, I I don't have any formal training in reviewing. You know, I, I've never gone to class for film reviews. I've I've read a ton of stuff in my life. I've written a ton of stuff. I I'd like to say that I have a very talent for writing. You know, a very large talent for it. But you know, I'm not classically trained. But you know, I know what I can put out there. I know how to write. And if people appreciate that and that builds a sense of community, I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like I and I've got, you know, some of these filmmakers, you know, other filmmakers that they know are going to search me out and I get to know them and all of this. And it's like, yeah, that 
that sense of community in uh in in film criticism and in filmmaking it's 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 something that social media and the internet uh really enhances in uh really surprising and really rewarding ways in a lot of cases and uh that's Definitely. that's that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed most as I've started to started to realize that my focus should be more and more on my voice as a critic and somebody who talks about movies, who lives and breathes movies quite literally, and uh, just just really appreciates the art form and and turning people on to a movie that they wouldn't have heard of, or you know, even if it's just a short film, even if it's a, if it's a feature film, you know, and some of these get you know, picked up for distribution. And it's like, all of that is extremely exciting to see and rewarding to be able to see. It's like, wow, these, you know, it's like, I know that person and this is, I'm, I, I feel like this was, you know, I, I feel honored to be a part of their journey as an artist, even, even if my own journey, because I mean, ultimately, originally I, when when I went to college, it's like I wanted to do film music. And to a certain extent, I still do. I still want to do film music. I still want to contribute in that way. But I realize that's that's ultimately if if that ever ha- happen if that ever happens, great. If it doesn't happen, I've come closer and closer to accepting that that may that that's just not what I'm supposed to be doing. What I'm supposed to be doing as a fan of film, as somebody who loves film, is helping helping people. You know, ultimately, with my crit- criticisms and commentaries on films, whether it's a review of uh, the next big Marvel movie or especially something independent that people aren't necessarily going to see otherwise. Now you're also writing a book, right? I I have started I've started writing a book. Uh, I haven't gotten as far with it as I'd like, but I mean, yeah, it's 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 something that I definitely it it's it's kind of it's very much a memoir uh, why I've worked on. Um, and a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's helped design Sonic Cinemas, suggested doing a review book first and foremost, which will probably be easier for me to do before I uh, do the uh, heavier, more personal book. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, I, I have started writing a book and uh, basically basically about my life, but also tying it into films that I love. Because there are a lot of significant moments in my life that I recognize, I identify with certain movies in a lot of ways and it's and so that's 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 something that uh when i do get to finishing that book and putting it out there that'll come through pretty vividly i mean if you've read the reviews for some of those movies uh that yeah that that comes through as to why those movie you you already kind of know why those movies uh landed with me the way they did sure um going going back to one of the thing 
and I, I talked about to to bring it back to specifically uh, horror for a minute. Um, although that was I, I love having that discussion with you about like community and social media and what how that how critics and filmmakers can sort of help each other in uh, in terms of the larger film community. Um, going back to specifically horror, uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned supernatural was more your uh, is is more part of the horror genre that you you appreciate over yes. uh, slasher films. What are some of your uh, favorite horror movies? I, I read something that Robert e, Roger Ebert said one time. I read something where he said, you know he was talking about rankings and he said, you know, it's, it's not like, right. He was trying to say that ranking is unproductive and mm-hmm. saying that this is the greatest of all time where, you know, like he was saying that, you know, for instance, like eight and a half might be the best film for this, but if you're looking for something else, you know, maybe you're looking at something that Scorsese did or whatever. Yeah. You know? So I have what I call my Phil Faso six pack. <laughs> At the top of my horror collection, mm-hmm. um, if I were to pick an absolute favorite, it would probably be The Omen. Though I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. I think Richard Donner is an underrated filmmaker. I agree um, with that. <laughs> the Omen is just The Omen is one of those things where it's just a combination of great acting, directing, an incredible score, mm-hmm. it's a great story, and I can I watched it again a couple months ago. I've seen it a hundred fifty times over the last God knows how many years, and it still scares the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, uh, no, the Omen is the Omen is really good. And I I completely agree with you about Richard Donner. I mean, he's one of the more underrated movies that filmmakers. It's tragic that he hasn't. It's sad that he hasn't made movies since uh, Sixteen Blocks because yeah. it's like I I really. I I really uh, miss his movies because of the fact that I mean even even something like Timeline is gonna be fun. It's not gonna be good yeah. necessarily, but it's gonna be fun. But yeah, I mean I know when I saw when I first saw The Omen, which was probably about ten fifteen years ago or so. I mean it was somewhere around there. I I knew Richard Donner from like Goonies and Lethal Weapon and all of that stuff. So I mean, I was in Superman, and it's like so. When I saw the Omen, I'm like, I did not see this coming for Richard Donner. <laughs> but it's like, no, it's a fantastic movie. And getting back to what I was saying about the whole franchise thing that we were that discussion we were having before, mm-hmm. you know, I, I the the Danny and Omen two and the Final Conflict are not nearly as good as the the first film, mm-hmm. but I also like the fact that that's a trilogy where it actually the sequels actually you have character growth and the story is actually moving forward. Damien, you know, at one point he's five years old in the original, and then the second one he's coming into his power and he's twelve, and then you know in the third one he's in his thirties and all of a sudden he's ready to take over the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there's a yeah. growth there, whereas. You know, if you want to talk Friday the Thirteenth, I think that Jason becoming a zombie in Part Six is probably the only character <laughs> you've ever seen for that character. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's funny with Friday the Thirteenth, and it's like they had that weird. I think it was like three through six, where you had like Tommy Jarvis, who basically yeah. became the protagonist. Versus, it was like him versus Jason. 
Yeah. And it's like, and number six is the final part of that. And I mean, one you were talking about, like, I think you you mentioned something about like sequels just sort of going in d- different directions. Like, yeah. I hadn't seen Jason Lives the sixth one for like twenty some odd years when I saw it again, like in two thousand nine, and I completely forgot that that is very loony and just there's a weird strain of comedy that goes through that movie that is just very unlike any other uh, Friday the 13th movie. Absolutely. Like, that is such a weird take. But I mean, I it was also one of the few movies in that franchise that I think was actually, the director was also the writer. And yeah. it's like the fact that he decided, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to make this completely insane and completely ridiculous humor. And it's like, it works in that respect because of the fact that it's like, it feels natural for that story that they decide to tell. It's like, look, we're going to go completely bonkers here. And it's, it's dumb fun, you know, it's not grim. It's just, Hey, I'm going to turn this on here and make it silly. Yeah. (laughs) It works. It works (laughs) in that film. It does. Mm -hmm. If, if only they had, if they, only they had remembered that when they did Jason Takes Manhattan, which still oh just my God. absolutely, I I remember I was I never I didn't see it until like five six years ago or so, but I this that title always stuck with me. It's like I always loved the idea of Jason taking Manhattan, and then I see it and it's like it's only the last twenty bids that take place in Manhattan. Like, Which actually mostly is taking place and being filmed in Vancouver, by the yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, really Jason. Exactly. Jason takes a boat on his way to Vancouver. Yeah, it was just like I was. It, and the thing is, it's weird to say that that movie is was such a disappointment for me, but I think it really kind of was. But it was because of the fact that I built. I had this built up just how awesome that idea is of Jason taking Manhattan in my head for so long. And then I see the movie. It's like, no, that just doesn't No, That's I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something funny. I saw that when I was actually saw that in the theaters in 19, whatever came out. I was like 17, 18 years old. And that movie came out it was the first Jason I'd ever seen in a theater, and I'm, I, I remember getting to the end, and I was furious. <laughs> so I watched it about a year ago because I decided that I was going to – it was December of last year, and I decided I was going to review all – I reviewed a few of them, but I was going to go through all the Paramount Friday the 13th. Yeah. yeah. And I watched it, and I was literally shaking my fist and screaming at my television <laughs> while I was watching it. I'm like, this is just – awful yeah it it's just like oh but yeah i mean if 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 it had just gone forward and just said for no reason whatsoever like jason's in manhattan and he's killing people if that had just been the movie it's like just take crystal lake out of it for a movie and just put him in manhattan for some reason just let him do his thing it's like that would have been such a better movie it still would probably yeah, absolutely terrible from an artistic standpoint. It still would have been stupid, but at least it would have been honest. Well, but that's one of the ones. I think that one was one of the ones too, where the writer and director were the same guy. And mm-hmm. I remember reading recently that 
he liked the boxing match with the guy Julius that takes place on the roof of the building was supposed to eat. The guy was going the director, writer, or director was going to include actual, you know, landmarks. So that was supposed to take place inside Madison Square Garden, you know? <laughs> yeah. Instead, they film it on a roof in Vancouver because the budget's 10 cents instead of 2 million, you know? Yeah. And I think that was, that was the last, uh, yeah, that was the last, uh, Paramount Friday 13th because New Line had Jason Goes to Hell and the rest of them. Yes. Yeah. And those movies have their own separate issues. Yeah. I, I, so, yeah, Jason X was the first one I had seen since I was a kid. I I hadn't seen seven through uh, nine, and uh, Jason X just ticked me off when I saw it. I saw it like shortly after it came out, but was the first one I had seen in like fifteen years, and I'm like, this is no, this is not good. <laughs> it's like it's basically an alien movie. <laughs> Pretty but, much, yeah. yeah. So how about you? What are your favorite horror films? Well, I mean, I, pretty much anybody who follows me online as far as Facebook and personally knows that, I mean, the Sh- Kubrick's The Shining, we've talked about it recently, Kubrick's The Shining is my favorite horror movie uh, of all time for a lot of reasons. I, I just love the atmosphere. I love, I love the way Kubrick directs it. I love the performances, even though, yeah, I mean, you could argue, yeah, Jack Nicholson goes completely batshit insane but it's like i love that it's a kubrick horror film and it's like i know that sure. kubrick's not necessarily your cup of tea as we discussed in that one thread uh when we were talking about it and king adaptations recently no. um but i i love i love the soundtrack i love the way he does mo- he uses music in his movies i love the way he and uh Garrett Brown shot that with the uh, steady cam. I love, I, I I just love everything about that movie. It's it's just such, and I one of the things I like about that movie is it's it's that is even though it doesn't take Jack Long to go crazy in that movie, it's like the ultimate slow burn horror movie for me because of the fact that it's like you don't, there's not really much horror. There's not really much actual killing and, and scares. It's just this build up to the moment when you really see that Wendy and uh, Danny are in real danger with Jack being the way he is. Sure. And, uh, this one amazing shot in this in that film that oh, and it sticks with me to this day. It's, again, this is nobody's favorite shot in that movie, but mine, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a shot when he's driving up to the Overlook Hotel at the beginning, and he's going up that icy mountain, and there's that long tracking shot, and it's a camera shot. It's a helicopter shot so from, yeah. from above. And he, he passes, I think it's a Volkswagen, or he passes another car that looks like it's stuck on the side of the road. And I always think about that guy who's stuck on that mountain <laughs> on that side of the road. And I'm like, well, that guy's probably going to die up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah, I, I, when, when I watch that this coming month, I really need to look for it. I don't think I've ever really noticed the, uh, there's a, uh, car, there's a, uh, car stuck in that, that, I just, that, scene. that's one of those things that I picked out. 
years and years ago when I saw it as a kid. And again, you know, I understand why people love that. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. Oh, yeah. I'm not a Kubrick fan, Mm. you know. And if I were a Kubrick fan, I'd love that film. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah, so that's great. I I Mm. think it's great that, you know, we have horror films that we can really go. I can go back to, you know, you can go back to The Shining anytime. You know, and see things that you love. Like, I love the original, one of my six-pack movies is the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. And all these years, every time I watch it, I'm seeing it a different way. So at one point, I'm watching it as, you know, this great romance between Kevin McCarthy's character and Dana Winter's character. Mm-hmm. And it's it's tragedy on that level. On another level, I'm watching it on, okay, here's this small town and everything's normal, and then everything goes completely unhinged. Mm-hmm. I think those move, those type of movies are great where you can go to something and get something different out of it, depending on what mood you're in every time you watch, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there are too many uh, horror films that really do that for me. I mean, the ones that I, the ones that I really like, I mean, it, it kind of goes, most of them are basically the type of, same type of movie over and over. Like, I really, I love Nosferatu. As far as silent horror, I love Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. As far as silent horror, I love uh, Horror of Dracula, the uh, Hammer uh, adaptation, the first Hammer Dracula film with uh, Christopher Lee and uh, Peter Cushing. Cushing, yeah. Um, I love, uh, you know, I I like the, I like the Ring. I like The Grudge. I like the American versions of those. I think they do a good job at what they're trying to do. Um, I know, you know, especially if you haven't, if you have seen the Japanese films, I kind of understand why people don't necessarily like those or they're too Americanized and stuff like that. That's completely fair. I love uh, Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death. Um, That's... I and it's weird because of the fact that it's like that in horror of Dracula. It's like it in a way that's it's sort of completely different from The Shining because of the fact that it's like those films are just big theatrical uh, horror movies. Where it's like if they weren't horror movies, they would probably they were basically be period dramas. You know, they just sure. happen to be horror movies. And it's like, so for me, the, the pendulum sort of goes back and forth as to the type of uh, horror movies that I like. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I like trying to do is I try to introduce myself to one or some familiar one, ones that I've heard from of that I haven't seen yet, uh, each month. Uh, some years... Some years I stick to kind of ones I've seen before, have previously seen. Some years I try to uh, throw in a lot of sort of obscure ones I haven't necessarily heard of, but it's like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll check that out. And, uh, you know, sometimes it'll be a movie that I haven't seen, but I know I need to see because of the fact that it's supposed to be a pretty great movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just... It, my my tastes are not necessarily you know I I don't necessarily have particular tastes. It's like you know it's like I love The Shining, but it's like I also will you know I also don't mind a good slasher film, and it's like it it just it depends on sort of how I look. You know it 
it's the movie, and it's the movie. It's the way it presents the story that uh, matters to me. So that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you what are what are the uh, other movies in your uh, six pack of movies that you uh, you you? So heard? I covered night. I covered Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. I just was fascinated by that when I first saw it. And my mom, years ago, when we first watched it on TV, on Channel 9, local channel, she told me that... And again, that's one of those movies where if you don't know what's coming at the end, um, you'd be hopefully surprised. Yeah. So my mom told me that when she went to see that, when it was out in the theater, she was 18, at the time, she went to a theater to see it, and she bought a ticket, and they let her in before the previous move, the previous run of the show had ended. <laughs> so she saw the ending oh, and she was blown away. And then wow. she sat and watched the rest of the film. <laughs> she was like, "What is going on here?" Oh man, yeah, I that oh man, that 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 sucks. <laughs> so the excuse me, um, I talked about the Omen. I talked about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So. The Thing, mm-hmm. John Carpenter's version of The Thing is just, I hate the cold to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he perfectly catches paranoia and the whole vibe in that film is just amazing. You have mm-hmm. an anchor performance by Kurt Russell yeah. doing some of the best work of his career in that flick. And again, I'll put my money on Rob Bottin's special effects and that pound for pound best special effects I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. This stuff and that that he did with practical that you couldn't pull off with. I don't care how good your computer program is, it's not going to come close to matching matching what he did in that flick. Yeah, and that was one of those flicks that came on. I remember that and Alien, the original Alien, the first one when I was a kid. Um, those were two of those movies that would show on Showtime and HBO when we first got cable when I was a kid. Yeah, so I'd be able I'd be able three in the morning watching those flicks on a Saturday, just amazed at what I was watching. Mm-hmm. So there's that, there's Cronenberg's The Fly. Again, mm-hmm. if you want to do a masterclass on how to do remakes the right way, show people the thing in The Fly. Yeah. <laughs> no, both of those are, uh, both of those are fantastic. I mean, I had heard about John Carpenter's The Thing for years, and when I finally saw it, I, I absolutely loved it, like, you know, like you did. And it's like, I, you know, it's like the the fact that they're isolated, the fact that, you know, the the cold and all that stuff, the fact that there's no real escape. And I think that's that's one of the other things that I really like about The Shining. And it's it's funny because of the fact that it's like I when I first got into projection at the movie theaters, like being up there at night kind of freaks me out because of the fact that you're the only one up there. (laughs) It's not that well lit. But the thing is, it's like, I, I the more I got into horror, the more I started watching movies like The Shining and stuff like that, I sort of got over that, and it's like, it's just sort of, like, now I have no problem, like, going in for a, uh, you know, 6 a.m., I'm supposed to be there at 6 a.m. for the church that meets there on Sunday, it's like, I don't mind blasting the, uh, soundtrack to the shining you know when i'm the only person in the theater it's like when i'm the only person in the uh, building it's like i'm fine with that it's like 
should I necessarily be 15 years ago? Would I be doing this? No. Uh, now I'm fine with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on both of those. And yeah, the, the fly is probably one of the, both of those are just like great examples of, uh, doing a remake and doing it right. And because of the fact that you're not just, you're not just remaking it. You're like doing your version of it. And it's like, I yeah. think that's the thing that, I think that's the thing that makes those movies in particular stand out when it comes to horror remakes. And then the last movie in my six pack is the howling. It's one of those movies again that when I was a kid I'd watch on TV. <laughs> it's just like it's just like this is crazy werewolf coven outside of California. <laughs> and again, the transformation, again, Rob Botine's special effects are amazing in that film. So mm-hmm. you know, and I find I should say this that if you look at those endings, um, the endings to those six films, um, I have found out that I am a fan of horror that ends Tragically and not so great for the main characters. <laughs> I I do definitely appreciate the bleak ending on things. Yeah, and that goes back to something that I read. Romero. I've seen I've seen plenty of interviews where Romero has said that, you know, as a horror, he was saying as a horror filmmaker, he didn't understand the whole thing of if you're going to rock the apple cart, you know, why reset the cart? If you're going to shake things up, you know, you shouldn't. You know, it doesn't make much sense to have everything be stabilized at the end and the heroes win right off in the sunset because you're, you're projecting a world that's not, you know, it's a yeah. dark place and, yeah. and it's, you know, again, that imagery of rocking the apple cart, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that has always been my point of view on things and that's why I appreciate horror that, you know, ends bleakly mm-hmm. often for the heroes because, you know, there's nothing more insulting than watching characters survive things that, you know, they should never survive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When I'm watching that Godzilla flick that came out a couple of years ago, and I'm like, this is, you know, these characters, you might as well have Wile E. Coyote instead of that kid from Kick-Ass on the screen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just, this is an elastic life. This guy's never going to die, and he's living stuff that no normal human being would ever yeah. close blue. Yeah. <laughs> might as well give him an acne box with some dynamite in it, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's where I'm at as far as my favorite horror flicks go. Mm. You know, it's nice that it's it's nice to know that I can always go back to those films and you know, I can watch like the original King Kong's one of my favorites. I can watch those type films. Um, and it's encouraging when I see films coming out that give me that same sort of feeling of fun and things that go bump in the night yeah. when I watch new stuff. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're a little more few and far between than I'd like, but it's encouraging to know that there's still stuff out there that I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Well, before we uh, before we wrap it up here, I mean, Grant, I I feel like we could probably do at least another half hour, hour or so, <laughs> based probably. on the way we're going. But uh, what do you have anything uh, coming out uh, coming up soon as far as uh, Death Ensemble? Any articles that you're working on? I have a whole backlog of reviews. You know, part of my problem is I have a commitment to excellence. Is what I like to call it. And I just I know that I can coast by if I wanted to on some of the stuff that I've gotten drafts of, and I'm like, but it's not up to my standard. Mm-hmm. So I have a whole bunch of reviews of stuff that I've got coming up, um, including some stuff from those indie guys that I've met that I was talking about. So I've got some of their you know reviews of their stuff, and you know the thing 
um, I was just, I guess the big thing is that I was just at uh, the New Jersey Horror Convention over the weekend. That's the first time I've been to that one. It's a new thing. So I'm going to be writing up a, um, a review. Hopefully I'll have posted by the weekend. And the other thing is that I was privileged enough to talk to Ken Sagos while I was there. My favorite dream warrior, Kincaid. <laughs> so I'll be posting that audio on that too. Okay. Yep. All right. Oh, the uh, website is uh, Death Ensemble, and it's just uh, www.deathensemble.com, right? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, it's it's been so great to talk to you today. I mean, I'm I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. It, I definitely don't want it to be the last time we talk. Definitely want to talk again. Uh, you know, Brian, just I, about Brian I had a ball, and yeah. I would happily do this again sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, this this was a lot of fun, and thank you very much for uh, joining me. And uh, I'm going to uh, going to uh, turn the record off here shortly. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, f- uh, thank you to uh, Phil Faso from Death Ensemble for joining me today. My pleasure. I uh, really appreciate him. Uh, wanting to do this and it's been it was really great to be able to talk to him and definitely want to do it again uh he's he's really got great voice when it comes to uh talking about horror cinema i definitely recommend it and uh thank you very much for joining us until the uh, next episode of sonic cinema podcast uh this is brian scuttle we got a lot more coming up by the end of the year hope to do another uh star wars comes Star Wars podcast with uh, Ron as well as a friend of ours. Uh, the three of us went to a Star Wars celebration. We will probably talk a little bit about that. We'll probably talk about uh, Last Jedi coming up. I definitely am going to uh, probably uh, talk again uh, about uh, horror at the end of the month and just sort of what movies, what movies I watched at the end of the month and sort of cap that. Uh, this coming month and uh hopefully we will uh be i'll be uh talking again with uh one of the filmmakers i've already talked about talked to about uh the work of andre tarkovsky so for now this is brian scuttle thank you for joining us for the sonic cinema podcast goodbye